Welcome back to the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon. Thanks so much for being a part of the Menopause Movement. I'm excited. Today, we welcome Rena Yudowski to the podcast. Rena Yudowski is a professional memory coach and geriatric social worker. She's the founder of Memory Matters. She teaches online memory improvement courses to midlifers and seniors. Over the past 20 years in the field, she has served as a director of an Alzheimer's unit in an assisted living facility in Maryland, the director of development at a senior enrichment program in Israel, trainer for dementia caregivers, facilitators of support groups, and international lecturer on aging topics. Currently, she is the memory coach for an international aging clinic where she does one-on-one coaching and is working on a comprehensive program to prevent dementia. She's super passionate about her mission of helping those 50 plus to age more healthfully, both physically and cognitively, as she empowers them to believe in their own memory with confidence and grace. During the podcast, we talk about how Rena became a memory coach, the role hormones play in memory and the memory hormone. Sally's story of return from cognitive decline. What to do if someone you love has been diagnosed with dementia or cognitive impairment. Two tips for combating brain fog. Brain fog versus dementia. What is encoding memory and how to do it? Stay to the end to find out what is normal versus abnormal memory function. At the end of the episode, make sure you visit drmichellegordon.com forward slash podcasts where you can find the show notes plus the links to all the books and resources mentioned in the episode. And if you enjoy the episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you're always the first to know when each episode is released. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for all of the five-star reviews. If you haven't left a review yet, please take the time to review the podcast. This helps more women to find it and get the help they need during the disruption of menopause. No one should have to go it alone. And again, thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. I appreciate you so much. Now let's get to Rena. Well, Rena, welcome to the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm super stoked to have you here today. It's Thank uh, you. it's really great because one one of the one of the things that women complain about a lot is whether they're you know whether it's whether it's a uh, Alzheimer's or some sort of cognitive impairment or if it's or if it's you know brain fog and menopause related hormone related and so having a memory coach on on the podcast I think is going to be really helpful to help us determine what those things are just for a second about maybe your background you know how you got into becoming a memory coach yeah great thank you thanks so much for having me first of all um, so I'm a geriatric social worker and memory coach. So I started out working as the head of an Alzheimer's unit in the States when I lived in America. And, you know, when you work with Alzheimer's, it's really, you just really think about what makes memory work and what makes it not work. And then I got married and moved to Israel. I'm here in Israel now, 21 years. And I took a memory course many years ago in Hebrew, actually, from a cognitive psychologist. And I was just like totally fascinated by this topic of memory. So then, of course, I went and did my own research and I read a lot of books on it and I spoke to the doctors and listened to webinars and then put together my own memory course. And I was teaching it live in many places around Israel to seniors and it was super successful and the feedback was amazing. And I just it was like the techniques, how memory works, all the techniques and then the lifestyle factors that go into keeping us sharper or longer as we age. And um, about a year ago, I decided I want to put this course online because I can reach so many more people. Okay. And then COVID hit and all the seniors were at home in front of their computers <laughs> with nothing to do and their minds wasting. So right. 
I really launched my course, let's see, it was in May. In May, I launched my course and I taught it online to people from three different countries, which was amazing. So I really have gone online now with this memory course and this memory enhancement program. And it's really just not a course. It's a whole coaching program. I really like hold people's hands through the process. And I say midlifers and seniors, not just seniors, because everyone I talk to, everyone that I tell that I do this says, oh, I need that <laughs> no matter what age they are. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, so um, that's, that's how I got into it. And it's really fun. It's really interesting. And it really helps people. Like I really, like, I, I just have such great um, feedback. So yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, one of the things that women you know, really want to understand in in menopause is, Hormones. I mean, the the number one. I mean, the, the number one podcast actually is all about intermittent fasting on this podcast. Uh-huh. Biggest complaint women have in menopause is weight, weight gain. Yeah. But it's not just that. It's there's a whole lack of control and not understanding their body, and I can't, you know. But but a lot of it is, you know, what, why am I eating so much, and why do I crave food, and yeah. things like that. But but when it comes to memory, there there's some hormones that are involved, right? Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about the role that hormones play in memory and how maybe we can support that. Yes. Yeah. So first of all, estrogen, right? Estrogen, this is, I was blown away when I heard this, that it, it has 400 functions in a woman's body. Probably and more among, than that. Yeah, among those are helping to maintain memory, helping us sleep. And I'll, we'll talk about the, the connection between sleep and memory in a minute. Helping us increase reasoning and new ideas and cognition. So estrogen is related to all of that. Estrogen also stimulates the production of enzyme that prevents Alzheimer's disease. So there's like a serious connection between estrogen and brain function and memory. And of course, then when we talk about like the balance of hormones, when, you know, when estrogen and progesterone and everything starts going out of whack or, you know, dips or... So we have a, a lower level of estrogen. So of course, our, we're going to have brain fog. We're not going to be able to sleep. And then of course, we're not going to be able to function because without sleep, our brain's just, it, there's no way. There's no way. I, I call sleep the secret cure to most diseases. It, it, that's <laughs> true. Especially brain that health. And, and I think we have to get over the fact that there's a lot of people who over the last, say, 30, 40, 50 years have said that, you know, you can sleep when you're dead or that sleep is, <laughs> sleep is, you know, for the week. No. And so with Ariana Huffington's book, Thrive, that started to bring sleep back to, you know, kind of the mainstream. And we're starting to see more and more with what the, the role of sleep is in health and the role of sleep has in even brain health and repair of hormones. And, and then we have, you know, all these new apps, right, that are, that mm-hmm. are really, they're tracking sleep and they're tracking they're tracking your, you know, your movement and things like that. You know, I got, I got that chunky oral ring right here. It tells, you know, it tells me my sleep every day and then that sort of wow. thing. I'll tell you, you want to hear an interesting study that I, sure. in Dr. Amon's book, Dr. Daniel Amon is a neuropsychiatrist. Mm-hmm. His, his books are amazing. Which, which book brain. specifically? So the one, The Brain Warrior's Way is the one okay. that I'm going to pull from right now. So he did, he, he brings down a study where soldiers, when they got seven hours of sleep at night, they were 98% accurate on the range. And when they got six hours, they were 50% accurate on the range. And when they got four hours of sleep, they were 15% accurate. It's like, whoa, which soldiers would you want fighting for you? The ones that got seven hours of sleep or not? Well, the problem um, I think when you're studying soldiers, and I know this firsthand as a surgeon, yeah, is that war happens at all hours of the night as does trauma and and medical emergencies. And one of the reasons I chose to give up my surgical practice was Mm -hmm. because I was tired of not sleeping. I I was tired of not sleeping. And this this week, because it's election week here in the U.S. that we're recording this, you're probably not going to air until January, but it's election week here in the U.S. (laughs) 
And I've had a couple of really late nights and a couple of mm-hmm. nights of only five and a five plus hours of sleep. Okay. And it's really interesting because we have to pay attention. I mean, the lack of sleep can lead to brain fog. And when it leads to brain fog, then we have this problem of how our body starts to crave things. Yeah. We start to crave yeah. carbs. We start to, yeah. to crave sugar. And we have to be mindful or else, you know, we can really fall back into that that trap of, of yeah. eating, eating for energy. Yeah. 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 I want to, can I talk about what sleep does for our brain? Like sure. why it's so yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, there's lots of reasons, but I'm going to talk about two main reasons. One is, first of all, we consolidate memories when we sleep. So everything that we did during the day, we want to remember that we got to sleep on it because when we sleep on it, we consolidate those memories. And second of all, I think of sleep as like the waste management system. Like imagine little garbage men going around your brain, getting rid of the toxins at night when you sleep. So it's really important because if we have all those toxins built up, it's going to affect our cognition and brain health, as opposed to if we sleep properly and we get rid of those toxins, we're going to be so much healthier and, and focus. We all know how we feel how we can not focus if we're like exhausted, right? We know that feeling. And then those nights where you get like a good, good seven or eight hours and you wake up and you go, oh, it really feels good to have like to be clear. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. So we know that sleep is important and we know that sleep consolidates our memories. So what other than sleep, what other lifestyle factors can we do? Can we modify really to keep us sharp as we age? Yeah. So, so there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff. Exercise is probably one of the best things you could do for your brain. When we exercise, it creates BDNF. BDNF is brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which makes our brain cells grow. We grow new brain cells and we want to do that because as we age, our brain cells are dying. So we want new brain cells and we do that through exercise, through physical exercise. So think of like when you exercise, it's like pouring water on a plant. It makes our brains grow. So if you're not exercising, now's a good time to start. And if you are exercising, keep doing it for many, many, many years. They say it's never too late. Even people with dementia, they say should be exercising. Yeah, it's really interesting to see with the more recent neuroscience over the past, say, 30 years, yeah. where we thought that the brain was, you know, after at the age of three, completely myelinated and did nothing changed. And now we have, you know, we have neuroplasticity. Yeah. And we we see how exercise really affects that. So one of the reasons I started exercising, it wasn't really because I wanted to lose weight, which was kind of a happy side effect, but mm-hmm. I started thinking about, okay, how am I going to be healthy as I age? Yeah. And so I, 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 ever since I had my son, I, I, really never really lost that baby weight. You know, my son's mm-hmm. 27 years old yeah. <laughs> and and I struggled. I, I would, you know, I would go up and down. I would exercise. I wouldn't exercise. And then when I started surgical residency, I was like, I can't, yeah, I just, it was all I could do to just kind of survive surgical residency. And then yeah. I started my practice and I focused on that and I didn't exercise much. But after I kind of got into a rhythm and felt really comfortable doing my, my surgery, I said, okay, I need some hobbies. And so I started working out mm-hmm. and then my weight wouldn't shift, which is really common for women in perimenopause. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just said, okay, well, that doesn't mean I don't, you know, that that exercising isn't smart, right? Mm -hmm. What you want to do is just reframe things. And so I I reframed it for myself and said, well, first of all, consistency is key. And if I do it consistently, Mm -hmm. I'm going to get some, I'm going to get some results. But the other thing is, is I exercise to save my brain. And when I said it that way, it makes it a lot easier to just say, well, you know, what's the goal? The goal is not necessarily seeing a number on a scale change. The goal is to keep 
sharp as I age so that I don't end up with some of the same problems that my parents had. And both of them, when they passed away, had serious cognitive problems. So that, um, was, that was important for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That fear also, when, when we watch our parents age a certain way and we don't want to end up like that, that fear of dementia causes us a lot of anxiety. And mm-hmm. sometimes it causes us to, it causes us to worry more than we should. That's a lot of what I do is giving people confidence and hope that they can age more healthfully than their parents. And people come to me with a lot of concerns. Is this dementia? Is it not? And I do memory assessment. And a lot of times I'm able to convince them that if they would just do certain things, either techniques or strategies or tips, they really don't have to worry so much. And that really gives people hope. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I love this. I have a quote from a Dr. Pam Smith, who's a functional medicine doctor. Have you heard of her? No. Nope. wrote a book about memory loss. Anyway, she's an anti-aging functional medicine doctor. She says, at 95, your brain should be just as sharp as 24. And I went, what? I agree at with 95, that. At 95, your brain should be just as sharp as 24. And I was like, okay, how are we going to do that? <laughs> I, I want to just mention here that one of the things I like to talk about with the women who are in the minnow system or the, or the women who you know watch this program, it's really hard for us to reconcile the fact that at this age, our brains still feel young, but our yeah. bodies are lagging behind. So I think that's something to really look at. And I know, especially for me, while you know, I can do things with my body now that I couldn't do when I was 18 because I've trained consistently for the past five years. It's still, it's still very hard to like lift my shoulder and have pain because mm-hmm. I never had that before. And so trying to keep that young mindset with a body that is, you know, I mean, we've got a limited time here, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the hard part. But you're right. It, it's really, it really is a combination of, you know, how we feel and the mindset of staying young and keeping our bodies in good shape. It's really, really a combination of a lot of factors. So it's the nutrition and the exercise and the cognitive training and the socialization. You know, when people retire, they they shouldn't just be sitting at home doing nothing. This is the time to build those friendships if you didn't have time for them in the past, right? And to do the hobbies and the education and all the things you wanted to do. It's like, you know, retirement is really for a lot of people that they have a positive perspective, it's the beginning of a whole new life, not the end, it's the beginning. And that outlook that you you get to do things now that you never got to do and things that are good for your brain, like learning new languages, learning new hobbies, arts, music, all those things are so good for your brain, you get to do now. Yeah, that's you know? true. There's a lot more time. And the one thing I, I never want to do is like be stuck sitting in front of a TV yeah. because there's so much outside. And we know from neuro study, neuroscience studies that just a walk in the woods can affect your happiness, yeah. right? Oh, oh and, yeah. Sun and air, sun and air. Yeah. And then there's this book that I read, a friend of mine sent to me a few years ago called Younger Next Year, mm-hmm. which is all about when you retire, it's you got to find a job. you know. And I've told some of the ladies in my program who are in the minnow system, I've said, well, you're retired. So your job is to exercise. You got to move your body. I mean, that, that's got to be something you do a couple hours every day just to keep your mind sharp. And then they, they start to do that and they start to see the result. That's really important. So yeah. um, did we talk about the memory hormone? No, that, I, I have that on the back of my head to mention to you. <laughs> yeah, let's let's go ahead and move on to that. What is yeah. what is the um, memory hormone? Pregnenolone. That's what you're talking about, right? Pregnenolone. So pregnenolone is, is the precursor to progesterone in in the steroidogenic pathway. So, so let's I talk about that. Pregnenolone. And so I started working and reading about memory, but it's not something that you hear about from the doctors or anywhere. I talk about it. 
You do? Okay, good. <laughs> I do. But I don't talk about it in the, in the context of memory. So let's, let's yeah. delve into that a little bit. Yeah. So basically, pregnenolone is that, we call it the memory hormone. And it supports memory and it's neuroprotective, right? So if your levels are low, you're going to be at greater risk for cognitive decline. And it's, from what I understand, it's a simple blood test. And it's very easy to supplement if your levels are low. But women have to know to ask their doctors to test it, right? And it's that fine balance of many hormones. But that is one that is very easy to supplement. I, it's very cheap. But you don't want to just take anything. You want to make, if you're low, you want to take it. You can supplement it. But that is definitely helps people a lot. Yeah, I think we have to really be careful here in terms of what we're recommending because it's easy to go and get over-the-counter things that say they're going to support your hormones. And I'm not a big believer in balancing your hormones. And the reason for that is that I think that this whole balancing your hormones thought comes from the, the pharmaceutical and supplement industry and mm-hmm. a positive natural condition. We're supposed to lose our hormones. And mm-hmm. I think a big part of it is how we manage that ourselves and how we choose to mm-hmm. look at it. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to supplementing, I mean, I, I wouldn't recommend, I mean, everybody needs vitamin D, but I don't tell people to go out and take, you know, 30, 40,000 units of vitamin D every day right. that can right. lead to illness. You have mm-hmm. to check your levels first. And, and right. we've got several podcasts with Dr. Green talking about supplements for menopause. And the main thing is to make sure that your partner with a healthcare practitioner, some yeah. sort of healthcare pre- professional who can check your levels and then kind of help you and guide you into, into taking the right supplements. Because I think part of the problem is there's so much over the counter. For example, let's say you want to take something like St. John's wort, which can help mm-hmm. with depression. Mm-hmm. St. John's wort has a lot of side effects and has a lot of interactions with other drugs. And if you don't know that and it's sold over the counter and you, know, you can start to have side effects, but nobody's blamed for that, right? Right. So, so I want to just err, you know, on the side of caution here. First of all, we're not giving any medical advice. This is yeah. not, not medical advice here. This is just some information for your consideration that you want to take back to give you the ability to go and have a conversation with your healthcare professional. But at the same time, I mean, if there is a supplement that can increase pregnenolone, where does, does that something that somebody can get like just from Amazon? So I'm pretty sure you can, you can get pregnenolone itself on iHerb or Amazon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the, I mean, the, the issue is, is that pregnenolone is the precursor to progesterone. And while progesterone is really important when it comes to sleep and getting enough sleep, supplementing that is, you want to make sure that, that you're really working with somebody. And yeah. you've got a couple podcasts on hormone balancing, actually, with Dr. John Carazzola, and then mm-hmm. a, couple of, uh, a couple of them with Dr. Green. So just before you go, and I just, again, a word of caution, before you go and start supplementing, make sure that you talk to someone. I, I just have to be careful there. Yeah, 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 for sure. No, everything has to be done under a doctor or healthcare practitioner's guidance because there's so many things we're talking about, right? We're talking about many hormones. We're talking about many lifestyle factors. I'm talking, I I, I want to tell you an amazing story that that sort of puts us all into perspective. Sure. So this is also uh, Dr. Pam Smith tells this story. She's again, an anti-aging functional medicine doctor and functional medicine sort of looks at like the underlying causes of things. So she talks about this uh, client, Sally. Sally's 67 and she was four hours late to her appointment with her because she couldn't find the doctor's office. She got lost and Sally only lived a few blocks away, but she could not find her way to the doctor's office. That's pretty scary, right? Yeah. Now, most people, if a lady, a 67 year old lady walks in and says, I live a few blocks away, but I spent four hours driving around because I couldn't find my way here. That would be a pretty quick diagnosis of dementia for most people. But to her credit, Dr. Smith did a lot of blood work and lab work. And she looked at grief. This woman had just lost her husband. She looked at her nutrition, her exercise, her hormones, her thyroid, her sleep, her insulin levels. 
Like she took a whole eclectic approach. And then, of course, all these factors were out of whack. She took each one and one by one worked with her, put her on a program, one by one worked with her, the hormones, the nutrition. Actually, I think this is where I was introduced to pregnenolone when I was listening to this talk from Dr. Smith. And you're not going to believe this. Within a year, this woman who couldn't find her way to the doctor's office was opening her own restaurant. That's crazy. And at the age of 80, she's still working with her son in that restaurant. That's a great story. And I think it, it really does play back to lifestyle modification when it comes to health. And we know that the number one cause of chronic disease is the food we choose to eat. But the food we choose to eat is really run, especially in countries like America, on corporations and profit. And there's things like vegetable oil. And if you want to know about the dangers of vegetable oil, go and read Kate Shanahan's amazing book, Deep Nutrition, because Mm -hmm. that's, I mean, anything manufactured is not made to promote health. It's made to kind of promote profit. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, we have the whole, I mean, I'm a doctor, so I I know this. We have the whole way the medical industrial complex is run and it's disease care. It's disease maintenance and it's not healthcare. Mm -hmm. And some some people are changing that. Andrew Weil has changed that. He's you know, a big integrative medicine fellowship and my wife went through it and that changed everything for us. But at the same time, there's just not a lot of people think that that stuff is really, you know, out there or woo-woo. But mm-hmm. if you want to work with somebody who can help you like look at your hormones and things like that, then I always recommend that people go and take a look at people at doctors and other practitioners who have gone through Andrew Weil's integrative medicine program. And that's the University of Arizona integrative medicine. And you can find a list of doctors who have gone through it. And not everyone in your area will have menopause specific information, but they will partner with you. They'll listen to you and you may have to pay out of pocket, but when it comes to healthcare, I mean, what's a life worth? I mean, we could, we could run down the rabbit hole of insurance companies, but let's not go there. Yeah. And, yeah. and and so it is important to find a doctor or a, another healthcare partner to help you through this problem. Now, what would you say to somebody who's got, uh, they're newly diagnosed with something like Parkinson's? I mean, Parkinson's is a, is a double whammy, right? It's a yeah. it's a movement disorder, plus it's a there's the dementia side of it, and it's really hard. I mean, my dad have died of something similar to that, and I, I kept telling him to change his diet, and yeah. he, he just wouldn't. Yeah, so again, it's like, you know, I know um, there's certain exercises that are supposed to be really, really good for Parkinson's. Um, I do know some older people with Parkinson's, and it's a hard one because it's neurodegenerative. But again, I think all the lifestyle factors that we talk about, you know, the the diet, the exercise, the sleep, all the things that are healthy, I think help those people stay stronger, longer also. It's funny because I actually run a support group for wives of uh, people that have different illnesses. And one of them is Parkinson's. So I'm sort of going through this with my, you know, with one of the ladies in my support group. And it's very hard to watch because Parkinson's also has a cognitive decline that comes with it. Oh. And I try to support the spouses of the people going through this. And they, they're the caregivers. They're the main caregivers as well. So mm-hmm. when you said Parkinson's, my head went in a couple of different directions. Sure. I was specifically thinking about this lady in my support group. We actually haven't met in a long time for the support group because of COVID. But that support group, was, we've been doing that for three years. So I've like really been through a process with these people. What would you recommend for someone then who's like, you know, the, the, the woman whose husband or, or significant other has just been diagnosed with Parkinson's or an Alzheimer's? I mean, this is, you know, first of all, there's a, there's a stage of grief. You know, there's yeah, accept- I mean, you got to go through the stages of grief, you know, and and yeah. once it's finally accepted, then I mean, it's almost like when something like that happens for me, and I, I don't know what other people are like, but I always want to, I always just do a deep dive into the research and start looking like, how can I fix this? How can I fix yeah. this? Yeah. 
And so for someone who's, you know, who's listening to this right now and, you know, is struggling with a loved one who has just been diagnosed with some sort of cognitive problem, what do you recommend? So I recommend a lot of self-care, a lot of support. You cannot do this alone and you don't have to, you don't have to do this alone. There's so much support. There's support groups. There's the Alzheimer's Association. There's the Parkinson's. Like there's just, there's so many outlets for support and self-care just takes such good care of yourself so that you are just like overflowing because it's so, so draining, so draining to take care of someone with cognitive impairment. So don't do it alone. Get help, get support and take really good care of yourself because if you're sleep deprived and nutritionally deprived, then we're going to have two patients on our hands, right? <laughs> For sure. Yeah, that's true. And again, do the things that you enjoy. You know, don't let go of your hobbies. Don't let go of your socialization. It's more important now, not less important. So just really taking good care of yourself so that you can be a good caregiver. It's really hard when life throws you a curveball like that. My, my son was diagnosed with cancer when he was 21 months old. He's 27 now, so he's fine. Wow. But we went through, you know, three years of hell. And then as he grew up, he had other, you know, sequelae. But one thing I like to tell people is that is that when when you get a diagnosis like this, it's important to remember that you're, and this is something that a neurologist told me when my son was mm-hmm. diagnosed. So I, I don't want to say that it's, you know, that it's mine, but, but I kind of adopted it. What he said to me, you know, my son was sitting there and having a seizure and really not doing well. And he said, you've got to take care of yourself. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Make sure that you're sleeping, make sure that you're moving your body, make sure that was it, I mean, it wasn't that easy. And it's really hard when, when someone that you love and has just basically been born is, is on death's door. Those are difficult times, but it's also difficult when, you know, your partner, you're watching your partner, you know, slowly fade away from existence. Yeah day by day. And that's where that's where I think these support groups really can come in handy Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, the Alzheimer's support group or the Parkinson support group or the cognitive impairment support group. And if you can't get to a live meeting because we're in a pandemic and that's going to go on for a while, I think we've got the the internet technology and FaceTime and other tools available online. Video communication. Yeah. So it's this is this is kind of an area that's near and dear to my heart. It's so hard to be the caretaker of someone who's sick, but at the same time, I mean, life life still goes on. I mean, life goes on yeah. no matter what kind of crisis is happening. So let's move on and talk a little bit about brain fog. And we yeah. talked, we we did touch on it for a second. We talked a little bit about how brain fog can happen from lack of sleep. What other causes are there of brain fog other than you know, lack of hormones? Yeah, I want to give two really good tips for that. Okay, okay, for focus. Because when we're talking about brain fog, a lot of people complain like they just really can't focus on what they're trying to do. And they feel like, yeah, that brain fog feeling. I actually have four techniques, but I think we're only going to do two today. Really, really helpful practical techniques for this. Okay. And this is good for people of all ages that are feeling that brain fog feeling. So number one, stop multitasking. And this is something that people in this age group that are going through menopause are doing a lot of. They're juggling a million things. They're trying to get so many things done at once. Their day only has so many hours in it. You're still juggling. A lot of people are still juggling kids. And then some people are also juggling, you know, grandchildren and jobs and spouses and, 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 and they're trying to do it all. And guess what? We grew up, a lot of us grew up thinking that, oh, if I could do five things at once and I'm super productive, right? Wrong. Your brain cannot multitask the way we wish it could or think or think it could, you know? So we need to stop multitasking because it trips us up. It causes us stress. In fact, it temporarily lowers our IQ by 15 points. So we don't want to be multitasking. And what the research has shown is that in the long run, you're more productive and you get things done more precisely without the errors if you focus on one task at a time. Now, this is hard because 
Everyone says I'm too busy. I, I can't just focus on one thing. And I say, if you're complaining about your memory and brain fog, you need to slow it down and you need to be more mindful and you need to pay attention to one thing at a time. When you have, you know, six windows open on my computer, at least, you know, and I'm clicking back and forth. I'm just, what am I doing? I'm just distracting my brain from one thing to another. Guilty. Guilty. I have like 100, 100 tabs open on my Chrome at any given time. We're all guilty of this. But what are we doing? We're distracting ourselves. We're stressing ourselves out or making ourselves less creative. When we really seriously turn off the phones, turn off everything. If I'm trying to focus on writing a blog or if I'm writing or if I'm trying to read something that I really want to remember, the best way to do it is to stop multitasking and to focus on one task at a time. There's a reason that there's an extremely hefty fine for talking on the phone while driving. You know why? Because your brain can't do it. It's what, it's like driving while you're drunk. They found that driving while talking on a cell phone is equivalent of driving while drunk. It's really dangerous. Um, our brains are what's called a sequential processor, which means that we take in, digest, and process information in a sequence. A sequence is like one thing after another. We do it quickly. Yeah. We don't do it at the same nanosecond. So... We need to slow it down. We need to be mindful, especially when we eat. How could it be that people can't remember what they ate for breakfast? They don't have dementia. They weren't paying attention to what they were eating. They were, they were reading the newspaper. Yeah. They were checking their phone. So we're not eating mindfully. We're not being mindful with even the people, with our relationships, because we're on the phone or checking our emails at the same time. So if we can just stop the multitasking, I, I do believe that some of that brain fog and some of that feeling of like, overwhelm and anxiety will actually be greatly improved as the first thing is stop multitasking Matt, multitasking and the other one is mindfulness um well i sort of put it together um, okay let me talk a little more about mindfulness i'll tell you what the, what i meant the other thing to be so mindfulness what i call it's like aligning your brain and your body what happens i go to the fridge i open the fridge and i can't remember what i came for and this happens all the time right again people say that dementia that's not dementia what happened is when I had the thought I need the milk from the fridge to when I got to the fridge, I had 10, 20, 100 thoughts, right? In between. Yeah. I go to the fridge and I open it up and I, I don't know what I came for because my mind just went through a whole thought process. I distracted myself with internal thinking. So instead, and this sounds very silly, but this is really the solution is I need milk from the fridge. Milk, 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 milk till I get to the fridge. And then you're not allowing yourself to be distracted. So it sounds so silly, but really it's aligning your brain and your body. So my brain's not in a Honolulu if I'm talking to you. My brain is right here, present, mindful with you. Okay, so it's about focus and concentration. Also, the awareness alone, this really helps people. The awareness that you didn't even pay attention to in the first place is going to make you feel better because it's going to make you realize that this is focus and not dementia. Okay. So the next time you say, oh my gosh, I forgot that you told me that. Or, oh my gosh, I forgot that appointment. Say to yourself, did I even pay attention to it in the first place? And most probably the answer is going to be no. Yeah, I think we're, so, we're very, very, very distracted. And very, I'm very. completely addicted to both of my phones. I have two phones and I'm completely addicted to both of them. I get it. I get it. Yeah. So when you align your brain to your body, then it gets rid of some of that brain fog. So that's the brain, that's the, that's the mindfulness and the multitasking together. And the being present and aligning your brain to where your body is. The, the second piece, the second technique that I want to teach that's very practical, and this helps us remember things, and it's using your senses to encode a memory. Encode the memory means to get it from our working memory to our long-term memory, where, the, where they're going to recall it, right? So if you use your senses, if you use uh, four senses, you have a 98% chance of remembering something a week later, okay? 
So our senses are uh, seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling. So when I lock my door, oftentimes we lock our door. Our minds are in Honolulu and we have no idea if we locked our door or not, right? It's gonna. This is how we're going to do it so that we remember. Now, when I lock my door, I'm going to feel my key in my hand. I'm going to look at the shape, look at the color. I'm going to hear the lock click and I'm going to say out loud, I just locked my door. Then an hour later, when I say, oh, I cannot remember if I locked my door, of course, I remember hearing myself say, I now locked my door. Now, using this sense and talking aloud is so simple and so powerful. You can use it to remember if you took your medicines. You could use it to remember if you turned off the stove, which is an issue for older people. I can't remember whether they turned off the stove or not. You can use it to remember if you make, when your appointment is, you say it out loud. I now locked my door. I now turned off my stove. You move the pot. So you're feeling the pot in your hand. You're giving it just a few more seconds of attention. So that makes it strong in your memory. And then you could recall that you actually did it. Instead of like talking on the phone and trying to stir the rice, and then you go to the other room and you forgot about the rice. You didn't forget about the rice. You're totally distracted. I know that's that's really good. I like that a lot, especially you know for mundane things like locking yeah. your door or turning off your stove or the air conditioning, for example, if you're going to leave for a while. And what about, did you talk about your practical techniques, techniques for helping us focus when we feel so scatterbrained? That's two of them. Those are two of them. The multi stop multitasking and the senses using your senses, use as many senses as possible. I'll give you, I'll give you one more. I actually have a lot of them, but Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll throw out one more at you. Not to do things automatically. This sort of goes hand in hand. What do we do? We come in, we throw our keys down on the coffee table, and then where are my keys? I forgot where I put my keys. I didn't forget where I put my keys. I didn't pay attention to it in the first place because I did it automatically. My hand put the keys on the coffee table. My brain was not even engaged in that action. So we're going to stop doing things automatically. And we're going to actually use our mental images. Our mind thinks in pictures. So you can use a mental image to help you remember where you put anything. So when you put those keys down now, you're going to imagine a genie popping out of your keys on the coffee table. So, and if you have like a really fun, crazy, vivid image of a genie popping out of your co- out of your keys on the coffee table. So let's say an hour, two hours later, when you want to go out and you're trying to find your keys. Now, where are my keys? All of a sudden, this mental image comes and it works because your mind thinks in pictures. So all of a sudden, this mental image comes up for you of a genie popping out of your keys on the coffee table. And it's like, oh, I know where my keys are. That's a no-brainer. So there's there's a great book that I'd like to recommend for anyone who wants to understand how automatic, what automaticity works. And it's called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And he tells a lot of stories about, he talks about a woman who lost all of her money gambling because it was a habit, Mm -hmm. about a man who had a brain-eating kind of injury, a brain-eating infection, but Mm -hmm. still was able to find his way home. Mm -hmm. And just, just some really, really interesting things about how memories can be like Grand Canyons and habit, habit can, can, can help that. So I, I do highly recommend that book if you want to understand habits and maybe how to change some of them. Because when it comes to behavior change, it's behavior change is hard. And we like to say, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, we started talking about exercise and how, how exercise helps the brain. And in my program, I like to talk about how exercise is the fountain of youth and we have to drink from it. But yeah. why is it so hard to get started? And that goes back to habit. How when, when our habit has been that we aren't doing something, that it's easier to continue that habit than to change it. And we have to find ways to get ourselves to actually make those changes. And, you know, that comes back to motivation. And, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of brain science in there. You know, what we want is, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about change. And then once we finally make the decision, the decision 
like that, then change happens. And so the whole idea, the, the reason why, you know, we have the podcast and the reason why we have the mental system is to kind of shorten that gap between thinking about change and actually making the change, right? Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's what it's all about. Now, when do you think that women should start to worry about their memory? Mm. But, you know, what is normal? Let's, let's just quickly define what normal memory loss is, and then we can talk about abnormal. Okay, that's a great question. Great question. Because sometimes when people have like those, what we call senior moments, right? They get really nervous. But really, like I said, it's more about focus and concentration. So actually, I I have a beautiful PDF that has a checklist of normal versus abnormal abnormal memory loss. And when people go to my my website and put in their email address, they get that as a freebie. But I'm going to tell you what we'll do. What we'll do is we'll make sure we hook that up in the show notes so that people can actually download that. Amazing. And, yeah. and get that. But let's let's go ahead and talk a little bit about what is normal memory yeah. first. So the underlying principle is like this. It becomes abnormal when it interferes with your functioning. So if you tell me that, you know, once a month you lose your keys, but you're functioning great the whole day, every day, I'm like, that's not a problem. If you tell me that you cannot function because you can never find your keys, so you can't get to any appointment on time because you don't have keys to drive because you can never find them, then that's abnormal. So this is a really good marker, really good criteria. Are you functioning well independently, you know, and safe or not? So if you're losing your keys, missing appointments all the time, not paying bills all the time. So it's how prevalent is it? Mm. If it's once in a while, we all forget things once in a while. At every age we do. Or missing appointments, like oh. I did. <laughs> it's, it's funny because this is the second time that we've, we've had an appointment and I missed the first one because I thought it was an hour later. But that, it really wasn't your fault because the time change got confusing because we changed our clock and you didn't. <laughs> all right. It so was one o'clock. I swear it was one o'clock on my, on my calendar and then all of a sudden it was 12. <laughs> but who knows? Um, Memory is faulty. <laughs> In the interim, you changed your clock. So now we're back to a seven hour difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how often is it happening? Happening? How pervasive is it happening? And are you still functioning or not? When you get to the point where you are not in, functioning independently, um, where you can't follow through on direction, where you really can't do for yourself like you used to, that's much more worrisome. Another example, it is it's normal like when you're driving, like once in a while you daydream and you miss the exit. I think that happens to all of us once in a while. But if you can't figure out which exit to take to get home, that's obviously much more, you know, worrisome. Or, you know, we say, you know, can't find my keys. Normal. But if you pick up your keys and say, I don't know what to do with these, that's not normal. So although, you know, they say that Alzheimer's starts in the brain decades before it's actually diagnosed, but I still don't like people to jump to the conclusion that they have dementia the second they forget one thing, right? Because yeah. the anxiety and the fear sort of like it's a self-fulfilling, self-fulfilling prophecy. So you want to do everything you can, like all the, you know, learning the techniques, deep breathing, meditating, which is so good for the brain and helps calm us down helps us focus. We, we didn't mention that, but meditation is another one. Yoga. You want to do all those things to help you, to help your cognition and your brain health. You want to use those strategies. You want to exercise and eat healthy and sleep. All the things we said, but if you're concerned, if you're concerned about your memory, if you really feel like there's something going on, go get it checked out. Go to a local memory clinic. You can get in touch with me. I do memory assessments over Zoom and, you know, we do a screening and ask a lot of questions. I usually can't figure out if there's something going on or not. I can't promise anyone what the future holds, but you know, we we are in a time with very exciting, hopeful research that we believe that you really can fight your genes and it's not just about your genetics and that there's so many lifestyle factors that you do have control over that you can age more healthfully. So even 
just in terms of the genetic piece for people that you know are really concerned even if you have a gene for alzheimer's you can actually you know it's what we call epigenetics right it's like a light yep. switch you can turn it on or off and this is so fascinating because we used to think that if you had the gene for alzheimer's you were getting alzheimer's yeah, and we really, we, we really did think that, that the yeah. genes, you know, once they coded something, once yeah. they coded a protein, that, that that was it. And what we found is through, specifically through the genetics of what we eat, that, yeah. that, and, and, but, you know, it's not just that. We can change our epigenetics just by thought alone. I mean, it's crazy. It's so, I mean, it's so quantum physics, woo, woo, woo stuff that I really believe, I mean, there's, there's one in, in the, transformational mindset shifting we talk we talk about it with lindsey durant about what happened when when people had intention on a, on a vial mm -hmm. of dna mm -hmm. and the way we talk to ourselves is it's just so important that we're you know we stop beating down on ourselves and we start to really pay attention to that and we do go into that quite a bit in in the minnow system we talk we talk about you know the minnow mate way of thinking and how how our thoughts create a reality and that's so important for us to start to pay attention to because it for whatever reason it's just really easy for us to be really hard on ourselves and and it's it's like a societal thing i think you know we take all those voices all those negative voices that we heard from age about you know 18 months on up and and then we just compound them we put them in a microscope at a in a microscope or a magnifying glass and just make it bigger and bigger and bigger so the last talk, question can i say one thing about yeah. that i talk about that self-talk piece with memory all the time yeah what happens when you have a senior moment? You say, oh, I'm going crazy. What's wrong with me? Why am I such an idiot? And that self-talk is going to be like, well, oh, that's not going to make you feel better or help you remember that panic and that like beating down on yourself is not going to help you remember more easily. But what if you take a deep breath and you say, you know what? I have a strategy from Rena. Rena taught me several tools that I can use right now to remember what I need. And you employ that and you say, yeah. I got it. I love I got that. It. It's going to come back to me in a minute. I'm going to take a deep breath. It's going to come back to me in a minute. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with me. And I have the I have the strategy that I need to do this. That is a very different system than what's wrong with me? Am I getting dementia? Why isn't my brain working? <laughs> right? Well, there is a there but remember, there is a factor of, and this is something that, that I learned, a quote that, that is attributed to Oprah, but I think she got it from someone else like Wayne Dyer, mm -hmm. but what you think about expands. Yeah. And so if your thoughts are really stuck on, I'm demented and I'm, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. menopause is hard and, and mm -hmm. it's miserable and things like that, you're going to get those things. You know, it's not just law of attraction. It's just like what you think about is what you're going to get. Now, before we close, I wanted to ask you one question, and that is this. When it comes to memory loss and cognitive impairment, there is a lot of denial. There's a, there's a big stigma around, you know, people, people never want to admit that they're, that they have a weakness. And so how, how do you, how do you address that in you know, making it okay to maybe reach out for help? So that's why I say, if you're concerned about it, get help because there is such good help. Let's, you know, let's figure out, you know, with everything in health, it's right. They're talking about prevention and the early detection. Not that there's any good drugs right now for Alzheimer's, but if you know that that's where you're headed, there are things you're going to do differently. You're going to be exercising more. You're going to be cutting out carbs and sugar even more if you're not doing that already, right? You're going to be adding in olive oil and blueberries and avocado and coconut oil. And I have a whole list of um, omega-3. The denial is really hard. It's really hard to break through people's denial, but the hope is what's going to break through it. The hope that even if you have a diagnosis, you can stay healthier longer. Just because you have a diagnosis doesn't mean you're going to deteriorate fast anymore. We used to think it meant that. Now we understand that people can stay sharper longer. Oh, socialization. 
people live longer if they socialize with other people. And I know that's really hard now because we're socially starved because of Corona. And especially the seniors are socially starved because they've been in the house the most, right? But there's so many pieces to this cognitive puzzle. So the hopefulness that you can do something, even we don't, let's say we don't have a cure for Alzheimer's, but we definitely have a way to stay sharper longer. Yeah, and that's for sure. And there are doctors that are actually talking about reversing. We never used to talk about reversing dementia, never. But now um, Dr. Dale Bredesen, who's in America, um, has a protocol and he is talking about, he is doing it, not just talking about it, he's doing it. He has a whole program and he is t- reversing dementia. His book is called The End to Alzheimer's, Dr. Dale Bredesen, The End to Alzheimer's. That's, that's great. Well, I want to remind everyone that whatever the obstacle is, if it's I'm going crazy or I'm having, you know, I might be having some some memory problems or whatever, the obstacle comes when we tell a story about it, when we have a belief And I'm going to challenge everyone to take a look at their beliefs around what it means to maybe need to reach out for help because there is this stigma and it's not just, you know, around cognitive impairment, it's around mental health and and other issues. And and then in America, for sure, there's this whole, it, not as much as in, as in the UK with the stiff upper lip thing, but in America, it's like, let's pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and let's not ask for help and let's continue to suffer. And suffering is, is something that, that can, you know, put, put hair on your chest and, and the, mm-hmm. those sorts of things. And so I'm just going to challenge everyone to take, take a really good hard look at any of the beliefs that, that you have around what cognitive impairment means and and asking for help around that if you're starting to forget what to do with a key, for example. So where can people find you? Okay, thank you. Yes. So my website, renayudkowski.com. I'm going to spell it. It's R-E-N-A-Y-U-D-K-O-W-S-K-Y, renayudkowski.com. Awesome. And if you go there, there's a pop-up. And if you put in your email, you'll get um, a beautiful PDF about normal versus abnormal memory loss, which we talked about a little bit, but there's more on there. And I'm also about to launch a membership program, which will be, I'll be sending out a video, one short video a week with strategies of memory and a brain exercise a week, and then a monthly group coaching call. And that is called Remembership. So I'm about to launch my Remembership program, and that is going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing information and great support that goes along with it. And that's in addition to my course, my full course, I hope to offer in a couple months. Again, that's called the Memory Matters Online Course. And I have a Facebook group. Uh, For anyone on Facebook, I have a Facebook group called Memory Matters Tips and Trips for midlifers and seniors. So if you're on Facebook, just look up Memory Matters. Or so when they, when they go to your website and they input their email address and get your PDF, do you tell them about all these things? Yeah, then they're put on my email list and then they'll get, they'll get whatever's coming up next. They'll get information. Great. Okay. Yeah. All right. So um, Rena. Thank you so much for coming on to the Menopause Movement Podcast today. It's been great having you. I, I hope that we get a bunch of questions and we can bring you back. Thank you so much. It's fascinating to talk to you. Thank you very much. And good luck with all of your work. Did you know that menopause is not a medical condition? Most doctors don't know this either. I like to say that menopause is the privilege of a long life. And to really take hold of our lives in menopause, we have to unlearn what society and the medical establishment has told us about menopause. This is why I've created this brand new course called Understanding Your Hormones and Managing Your Menopause. I want to show you how you can get on top of your menopause right now so that you can start to see it as the best time of your life. Now, this course is valued at $500 and is in the beta testing phase. 
And we're currently accepting applications for women to test it out for us at no charge in exchange for feedback and testimonials. But the best part is because you're a podcast listener, you can bypass the application process and go straight to the front of the line. To register right now, simply visit menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones, and we can get started together right now. Remember, you can get started right now at no charge to you in exchange for feedback and testimonials when you go to menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones, and I'll see you inside the course. Thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. 